All right. Hello, friends. Hello, Jordan. <laughs> uh, it is time for our snacktivity. Ezri, can you can you grab those and give them out? She's gonna give them to uh, everyone who uh, who wants one. So raise your hand if you want. What's that? I'm gonna just take it. I'm gonna take it down. Oh, okay. I'll just take it off. There. How's that? You all right? Like that? We good? All right. All right. Hello. Uh, my name is Jordan. I'm filling in for Rod tonight. Filling in for Rod tonight. Filling in for Rod tonight. Ah, got you, got you, got you. Um, I'm supposed to be talking about the Beatitudes. That's the series that we've been in. And uh, so if you remember with me, the Beatitudes uh, introduce Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 5. He opens up with this beautiful, kind of really nice, beautiful list of, of things that people have called over the time Beatitudes, things we should be and try to, try to emulate. It also introduces Jesus' teachings in Luke, in Luke chapter 6. We get another iteration of of this beatitude, these uh, these lists of things we might want to strive after ourselves, and so they're very important sections of text because they give us an introduction into the sorts of things that Jesus is going to be talking about, his priorities, uh, where he is going with his teaching. So, if you want to know something about what Jesus is all about, start at the beginning and pay attention to those first lessons. But before we get into that, I want to talk about a lie that I was told my whole life. I was told a lie by every pastor and every preacher, every Sunday school teacher. I was told a lie by everyone who taught me in Bible college and then in seminary and uh, in my doctor's program as well. A lie that we share as, especially if you kind of were raised in a conservative evangelicalism, if you're familiar with the word inerrancy, you were probably taught that all of the Bible is as equally important as every other piece, that the Bible as a whole is to be venerated and held up, and every part of the Bible at some point will be valuable to your life. And they were all lies. They were lying to me. And I uh, took that lie on myself and shared it and taught it and lived it as much as anyone else. And and I, I feel like that lie is something we have to begin by conf- we have to begin confronting uh, before we can really even get into the text tonight, and and I want to prove the lie that that it is a lie by casting your mind back to the Christian bookstore. Anybody remember the Christian bookstore, the wonderful Walmart of Christian kitsch? We have pencils, we have pens, we have T-shirts, we have books, we have we have movies, we have everything with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled on top. And there was always in the Christian bookstore a good section of like home decor. You remember the home decor? You could walk through and there'd be plaques and crosses with flags on them and like little things and like and and there would be at some point as you're walking through there I guarantee you I promise you will see a painting a plaque a little Thomas Kincaid quote of some kind that will say something like this blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me just stop there. Righteousness is not moral rectitude. It's not purity. Righteousness is the Bible word for justice. Do you hunger for 
justice. For those who hunger for justice will be filled. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Right? These words, you'll see them always. You'd always see them on plaques. And if you wanted to put some Bible verses up uh, in, your, in your house or in your church, and you, you, you would find it there and you could do it. But what you would never find, that, what, that quote I just gave you is all from Matthew chapter 5, the beloved Beatitudes. But I guarantee you, that you would never find this in the plaque in the Christian bookstore, Luke's version. Luke looks at his disciples and he says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day. Leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. Woe, for you have received your consolation now. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. I've seen the Beatitudes on probably every church, you know, I mean, how many times have we seen, but we don't see Luke's iteration there. And, and that's an important thing, isn't it? What goes on the wall and what doesn't? What can you make money on? What could you sell? What would people be willing to buy and put on their walls? And what wouldn't they? Because one we're okay with putting up and one we definitely, definitely did not. And why is that? I think there's lots of reasons. Uh, my reasoning, the experience from my very uh, conservative Christian culture that I came from was that basically we had a Republican platform with a little Jesus on it. And so we could not condemn the rich because we all were working to get rich. That was the goal. That's what we're after. Um, the United States is the richest country in the world. 46% of our budget, 46% of our budget, somewhere around $747 billion is spent on the military every year. Yet the richest country in the world doesn't have the ability to feed, clothe, and get health care to its people. Our priorities are not the priorities that Jesus describes when he talks about his kingdom. We recognize that judgment and so we pull back and we find a way to make it okay. And you can make it okay when you begin with blessed are the poor in spirit because it feels spiritualized a little bit. Blessed are the, are, are the poor, that sounds a little uncomfortable. Blessed are the poor in spirit, I can work on that one. <laughs> but more than that, more than that, because it's fun to hate on the big picture, it's me, right? I was the one who held the microphone and, and picked what, what texts we read and picked which sermons we, we listened to. And it condemned me to some extent because I know tonight when I go home, I, if I needed the money, I would have either access to it from a friend or I might have some myself. If I get hungry, I'm not going to be hungry. I'm going to get a snack before bed. I'm going to watch a Netflix comedy special. I'm going to laugh. So I'm going to bed tonight in the woe section. And that feels uncomfortable to me. But the one thing I love about Edison Chapel, well, there's many things, but one thing is, uh, of the things I love about Edison Chapel is we're not afraid to sit in an uncomfortable place and to say, wow, what do we do with this thing? What do we do with this thing? 
Because if we step away from it, if we create Christian cover-up and we sort of find a way to lie and say, well, you know, I'm not really rich or, or whatever we find to kind of make it okay, I think that that lie is bad because it eventually becomes theology and theology becomes enshrined and then we never question it again. And if there's anything Jesus is always trying to get us to do, it's to question everything. Just like that. There you go. And it creates a world in which we are not fully engaging with Jesus. So as we spend time tonight thinking about the Beatitudes and thinking about Luke's version of it as well, I want to suggest that we frequently make two mistakes when we come to this text. The first thing we do is we do separate Luke and Matthew. One will say Matthew's more spiritual. Luke is definitely more concerned about the physical needs. And I just think that's nonsense because Matthew says, blessed are the peacemakers. And how did Jesus make peace? It wasn't at the end of the sword. In fact, he said, now put that sword away. He goes and he dies for his enemy. Luke continues immediately after that, woe to the rich and woe to the hungry and woe to whoever, when when you've got it all set up, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. That is what Jesus is on about. So what does peacemaking look like? It certainly doesn't look like John Wayne, American-style peacemaking. It looks like a cross. And so what Matthew is on about is exactly what Luke is on about. They're both talking about how we dream of a better world. And I think that's the second piece, is we turn this into some kind of law and legalism. We're instantly pointing fingers at ourselves and at each other, making sure we're holy enough to make it into heaven. I want everyone just to take a deep breath and relax. Because I don't think Jesus is trying to create a new mosaic law of iron. What does Paul say? That Jesus came not to write it on tablets of stone, but to write it on our hearts, to make it flesh and blood, to make it livable. So I don't think Jesus is trying to heap guilt on us. I think he's giving us an invitation to dream of a better world. Dream of a world where the meek inherit it. Dream of a world where the poor rejoice because there's enough food, there's enough health care, there's enough shelter. Imagine a world where what we have right now is inverted and everyone who was low is lifted up and everyone who is at the very top was brought down a little bit lower so that we all were standing on a plane together as sons and daughters of God. Imagine that world. Jesus is creating an invitation. He's saying, we can do this. We create all of this. We create the world around us. We create the world inside us by the way we think and live. We create the world and we can choose a better one. One of the ways we can choose it is by thinking about a world and asking politicians and local politicians. And when we think about voting, think about where the margins are. Will this policy hurt the margins? Not think about me, not think about Who does this harm? Does it harm the voices that we aren't listening to? Like there are easy ways for us to begin thinking about that big picture, but but I want to begin, I guess, my thought experience with all of this, this this, uh, blessed are or happy are, the, the meek or happy are these different people, is to think about how could we make a world where they're comfortable. So, so thinking about it this way, my wife, Laura, and I, we are very different people. Uh, when, when, peacemaking, when it comes to peacemaking, we just sort of turn the mic over to Laura because I'm going for violence, baby, every time. 
So we will frequently be in situations where I will be upset about something and I will be going off. Does anybody ever go off? Don't make me stand here alone. Can I get a witness? I'm going off and I'm saying, thank you, brother. I am saying some things that I would not want you all to hear. And I'm saying, um, and eventually, not, not so much anymore because we've been married for a while, but sometimes I'll hear my middle name. She'll go, inhale deep, look at me, Jordan Allen. And I know I went too far, right? I know I went too far. I know that, that, that my, my world of violence has sort of gone a little bit too far and the peacemaking world that she loves, the meekness that she just sort of has in her character, I have made it uncomfortable for her, right? I've made the world uncomfortable for her. So if we think about this, the prophecy that John the Baptist, that great prophet, said about Jesus, when Jesus was about to show up, he said, hey, y'all, the Messiah is about to show up. What did he say we should do? He said, make it easy for the Messiah. He said, make the, make the paths that were crooked, make them straight. Those mountains that were really high to climb, pull them down. Those valleys that were really hard to navigate, pull them up. And he's using this language symbolically. We know what it's like to be at the top. We know who the one person are. We know what it's like to be, what it's way up there and way down there. And, and John the Baptist is saying, level that out. Make it easy for Jesus to be present among you. Well, what if we thought about it this way? What if as we read, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. What if we thought about it this way? What if we thought about making a world where they feel comfortable? What about a world where they feel comfortable? It wouldn't be the Christian leadership world. I remember my first year as a pastor, I was, I was pastoring this little church and we had an experienced minister come in and he did a little revival for us and he gave me a piece of advice, put his hand on my shoulder and everything. In his southern drawl, he, go, he said to me, he goes, son, you need to grow thicker skin. You need to grow thicker skin. You have to toughen up. You got to be ready for people to treat you like garbage, to abuse you. You have to be ready for that. And he was right. And all that time in church leadership, I learned he was right. He was right for church leadership, but he was wrong for Jesus. Because that is not the heart that I should be working on. I should not be trying to become harder, thicker skinned, less merciful. I should be working on the opposite. I do that naturally already, right? And so what I think of as I, I read these passages, I don't think of them as laws, I think of them as invitations. Invitations to imagine a world in which the merciful, the weak, the peacemaker feels comfortable. How can we make space for more of that? How can we invite the poor in? How can we make the table larger? How can we make it bigger and more equitable for everyone? This is what Jesus is about. When I read Jesus, that's what I read. And when I read Paul, that's what I see from Paul too. In fact, as I just kind of wrap up all of these ideas and, and maybe send you on your way to think and maybe converse amongst each other about how you make the world maybe more difficult for the peacemakers in your life and maybe how you can make it easier, how you can make room at your table, how you can embody more mercy, how you can make that better world that Jesus is inviting you to be a part of, not through legalism, not because you're going to fall off into the pits of hell, but because isn't a better world a better world? And isn't that the kind of kingdom that God would want? And isn't that what it would be like if Jesus was here? So why don't we make some room for Jesus? Why don't we make straight paths and flat fields so the Lord can be comfortable amongst us. And I think that that's what Paul is on about because as Paul in Romans, one of the favorite of so many people who love to preach, 
is Romans 12 and it kind of opens up. Paul says something very similar to Jesus. And this is what I would end with and encourage us all to embody. He says, love one another like brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing each other honor. So that when we look one another in the face, we say to ourselves, how can I honor you first in this conversation? How can I honor you first in this interaction? How can I honor you first in this conflict? How can I be the first person to honor you and to make you the one that stands out? That, friends, family, that is a better world. And that's a world that Jesus invites us to imagine and to embody. And... I'm going to be done there. So uh, do you want to do you want to pray or anything? Rod says say go in peace. So I'm going to say go in peace. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Love you all. Have a good week. Ten. Uh, quickly, sorry. Come back in peace. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, did you guys get the text message that I sent today? Yeah.